morning, everybody. We are uh, in our message series uh, going through this season of Easter. It's the seventh Sunday uh, in Easter. Reminder that Easter is a full season and not just a day. Uh, and we have been going through uh, a series that we've called Witness. And that's based on this idea that as we look through the, the, uh, the first readings on the calendar for Easter that are all coming from Acts, we get these different examples of witnessing, uh, in, in the early church. And we started this uh, on Easter Sunday with this message that Peter gave, um, one of many gospel sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts that, uh, where he basically says, Jesus came and he revealed himself, but not to everybody, but just to us and we're witnesses. And uh, every week since then, we've gone through and looked at uh, several stories uh, where we've seen that. Uh, we saw in, in Acts chapter four, the impact of the witness on the community and this radical um, sharing of everything and the way that the community was impacted. Uh, in Acts three, we see this amazing story of Peter and John uh, walking through the temple courts and the, the beggar asks for money and he's like, I don't have any money, but here's what I can give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this crippled man is healed. Uh, in Acts chapter four, we see the aftermath of that where they're pulled in front of the leaders, Peter and John, and they're questioned and they said, you can't, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. Um, this, this radical disobedience. And in fact, it's not even just like simply, you can't tell us what to say, but it's like, you guys tried to kill Jesus. I'm going to convict you right here. And by the way, God raised him from the dead and, uh, and all that. Uh, we saw in Acts chapter eight, the Philip swept up and moved by the Holy Spirit brought to, uh, an Ethiopian, uh, in the chariot and he comes up and has a conversation that results in, well, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? These amazing, very powerful stories, uh, that are probably familiar to a lot of us of, of these, the impacts of, of the witness of these apostles in the early church. And so before we go any further into today's, uh, stuff, I just want to pause and ask, like, how did these stories hit you? What, how do you feel when you hear these stories? Um, are, are they inspiring? Are they, uh, are they convicting? Do you, do you, do you find it easy or difficult to relate to them? How do you how do you feel when 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 you listen to these stories? Go ahead, John. I am genuinely grateful for the format of Storyline Community Church. <clears throat> I have read these stories many, many, many times over the decades before I came to this group. And I had my set perception and understanding and interpretation. Um, and then I got so many other perspectives and stories of Jesus and the apostles and blah, blah have been rounded out. So uh, it is a, it's a dynamic, ongoing uh, living process. And I commend Charles for pioneering this this methodology like allowing some bozo in the pew to talk like myself ordinary non-clergy bozo okay that's what i'm trying to say yeah yeah that's that's uh 
you the, the clergy, you have the lady, and then you have the bozos. And, and all are welcome to speak here. I love it. <laughs> ben, I see a disembodied yellow hand floating next to you. Yeah, that's my disembodied yellow hand. Uh, I, as we've walked through Acts this time, what's uh, been highlighted for me, um, more so than anything else and really more so than any other time is how complex and hard and difficult living community is. Like it's, it's easy to look at the stories and have all the right answers, but I've been really uh, struck by the struggle as people have tried to figure out what do we do with God doing a new thing, particularly when it goes against how we've always understood the ways in which God works. Uh, so it's just been interesting that for me, I've noticed in spite of how clean I want to make the story of Acts, it's actually really complex and it's really difficult. Um, people mess up, they get it wrong. People are hurt. Um, kind of like life. So that, that's just, that's really stuck out to me this go around. Thanks, Ben. Um, you know, and I, I, I feel similar about looking at Acts right now. Um, with these, with these stories that I mentioned and actually, um, the one today too, a lot of the times when we tell them, uh, when we read them, they, they come off as almost these like larger than life, really major milestones, game changers in the course of, of the church. And, and in fairness, a lot of them actually are. But like when you, when we come and read the stories, like we bring the weight of all of that at this moment. And so, a lot of times we look at these apostles and these stories and they almost seem like some kind of evangelistic superheroes, right? Like again, Peter and John just walking through, like how cool of a move is that? It's like, I don't have any money, but I guess I can give you this in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Right. And then you've got a guy running around and leaping for the first time and praising God and then pulled in front of the, of the leaders. And they're like, you have to stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And in fact, you shouldn't have killed Jesus. So that's on you. It just this, these amazing, bold, almost superhuman acts. Um, even, even the bit in Acts four with the community, right? Like you see this radical sharing. Nobody has their own property. Everybody takes care of each other. Everybody does this, this amazing transformed community. Um, it's, it's incredible. Uh, so many stories of like this person filled with the Holy Spirit did this and filled with the Holy Spirit that like, it's almost like you imagine the apostles walking around shooting flames out of themselves the whole time, just overcome with power. Like Philip swept up and taken right to this exact spot so that he can have this perfect conversation so that he can then get swept off to somewhere else. Uh, it's really cool. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's exciting but it's also kind of hard to relate to, I find. Like, when I look at myself, my own relationship with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and with the rest of the world, and I look at these apostles, and I'm like, sometimes, do I, do I really have the Holy Spirit? Like, I mean, am I, like, they're doing incredible, bold things with this amazing confidence. And sometimes like, I'm not even sure if I believe all this stuff every day. So it's, it, I find it kind of hard to relate to. And that's, that actually even brings us into today's story. Um, which funny thing, this is, we're in Acts chapter 10 today. Uh, when I kicked off this series on Easter Sunday, 
uh, we were also in Acts chapter 10. And in that lesson, I did something that I almost never do, which is I completely ignored the context of the, of the, of what we were reading and instead focused only on what was being said. And so we kind of took it as this straight gospel message directed from Peter to someone and, uh, and, and looked at that. And I think that was fine. And I did that partially because knowing that I'd be coming back to it today, uh, to talk about the context. And the context is another one of these famous stories that, that, uh, that you might know where Peter preaches the gospel to a group of Gentiles for the first time ever. And again, this radically changes the course of, of the church again. This is, this is the beginning of welcoming Gentiles into the church. Uh, and it changed everything. And it's, it's a powerful story, right? You've got Peter up on the roof, deep in prayer to God and this incredible vision that he gets where God is like, don't consider anything unclean that I have made pure. And Peter is like, oh my goodness. And then the messengers show up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to go with you. And he gets there and he's like, Cornelius and all your Gentile buddies, here's the gospel. And he preaches it to them. And they receive it, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and they're baptized, and it's this amazing, incredibly powerful moment. And I, I see that, and again, like, I find it a little bit hard to relate. And the other thing that I'm looking at this story, I'm like, this is the same Peter that was in the Gospels? Like, these apostles in Acts are the same disciples that were following Jesus around in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the Gospels, these guys are not like superstar, bold, always saying the right thing, always doing the right thing, doing amazing stuff all the time. These guys are tripping over themselves constantly in the Gospels, right? Jesus shows up and he 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 preaches something. He speaks in parables and the disciples are like, we don't get it. And so he's like, okay, let me explain it to you. And they're like, yeah, we still don't really get it. Um, they're arguing with each other over who's the most, who's the most important. He's constantly trying to teach them things they don't understand. A lot of times they'll come in and they'll say the exact wrong thing at the wrong moment. Um, it's, these are not, it's hard to believe that these are the same people in the gospels that we see in Acts. And obviously there is some growth and transformation that has happened between when we see them in the Gospels and we see them in Acts. But I suggest to you that a lot of what we see in Acts is stuff that we're bringing to the story. Because we know that these are big deal monumental stories. When Peter preaches to Cornelius, that changes the church. That's a big, important, monumental thing. And so we're like, wow, Peter, he did it. And we bring that with us to the story. But I suggest that if we really look at the text, if we look at it, we can still see that same old Peter back from the Gospels in it. And I think we might find something that's a little bit easier to relate to. So that's what I would like to do today is just go back through. Let's let's get into the context of this story and let's see what we see. So this is Acts chapter 10 and it starts right at the beginning. And like I said, the story begins with Peter. Deep in prayer for God, right? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, huh? a centurion in the Italian company. He and his household were pious, Gentile God worshipers. He gave generously to those in need among the Jewish people and prayed to God constantly. One day at nearly three o'clock in the afternoon, he clearly saw an angel from God in a vision. 
The angel came to him and said, Cornelius. Startled, he stared at the angel and replied, what is it, Lord? The angel said, your prayers and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to God. Send messengers to Joppa at once and summon a certain Simon, the one known as Peter. He's a guest of Simon the Tanner, whose house is near the seacoast. When the angel who was speaking to him had gone, Cornelius summoned two of his household servants, along with a pious soldier from his personal staff. He explained everything to them and sent them to Joppa. Okay, so the story doesn't begin with Peter. The story actually begins with the Gentile, who is pious, who is praying to God, who gets a vision from God, and then upon receiving this vision, immediately acts in obedience and sends two people to go find Peter. But that's fine. Peter's important to the story. We're going to get to him now. Um, verse 9. Uh, at noon on the following day, as their journey brought them close to the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted to eat. While others were preparing the meal, he had a visionary experience. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. So there's our vision, right? And Peter gets it, and he is prepared and ready to go to Cornelius, right? Verse 16, this happened three times. So it took three times for him to get it. I mean, maybe that's fine. Three is a significant number. Maybe there's, you know, like Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus... um did the, you know, do you love me? We feed my sheep three times. Maybe the three is just a significant number here and kind of helps drill it in. That's probably fine. But surely he hears the vision. He sees it three times and he gets it and he's ready to go do what he's been called to do with Cornelius. Okay. Um, verse 17, Peter was bewildered about the meaning of the vision. Well, okay, fine. He'll, it's, he's going to think about it for a minute, but it's okay. Just then the messengers sent by Cornelius discovered the whereabouts of Simon's house and arrived at the gate calling out. They inquired whether the Simon known as Peter was a guest there. Um, okay. So while Peter was brooding over the vision, so he's up there still trying to figure it out. He's like, what in the world could this possibly mean? The spirit interrupted him. I love this because it's almost like God's like, all right, I don't have time for you to figure this out. Look, these people are looking for you. I'm going to give you very specific and direct instructions now, Peter. Go downstairs, number one. Number two, don't ask questions. Number three, just go with them because I have sent them. All right. Peter can follow directions. Number one, so Peter goes downstairs. And told them, I'm the one you're looking for. Number two, don't ask questions. He says, why have you come? Come on, Peter. <sighs> it's fine. We'll get past. It's okay. They replied, we've come on behalf of Cornelius, a centurion and a righteous man, a God worshiper who is well respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel directed him to summon you to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them to stay into the house as his guests. So. He did go downstairs, but he asked a question, and then he had them stay with him instead of going with them. But it's probably the end of the day, and they're going to 
had a journey tomorrow, so it's fine, right? And it is. The next day, he got up and he went with them, together with some of the believers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Anticipating their arrival, Cornelius had gathered his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet to honor him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, get up. Like you, I'm just a human. As they continued to talk, Peter went inside, went inside and found a large gathering of people. Now, this is, these are the moments in Acts where Peter really shines, where he goes in and he's in front of a large group and the spirit fills him and he knows what to say. And he says the right thing for these people to hear to make his point. And he walks in and he said to them, you all realize that it's forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. Uh, however, God has shown me that I should never call a person impure or unclean. Oh, Peter. Oh, gosh. That's so awkward. <laughs> You go into a room full of Gentiles and you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. It's against the rules. But you know what? I have evolved. I don't really think that you are all impure and unclean people. <laughs> okay, Peter, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. It's, it's okay. Uh, so he says, all right, when you sent for me, I came without objection. I want you to know, I want to know why have you sent for me? Yeah, great. Admit to the entire crowd, I don't know why I'm here. So Cornelius tells him that four days ago at three in the afternoon, he had this vision. He saw the man um, and he told him to send for him. And I sent for you right away. And now here we are gathered in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has directed you to say. See, Cornelius is 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 trying to tee it up for him. Let me give you the softball here. Just, just here it is. Just tell us what the Lord has directed you to say. And this is when Peter launches into that amazingly powerful gospel sermon that we looked at uh, on Easter Sunday. He says, Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Huh. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him, I guess. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. Uh, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen. Not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter 
were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles? They heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. And Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water. Can they? So he directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited Peter to stay for several days. So when you look at the story and everything that goes on in there, you still see some glimpses of the old Peter. You see somebody that's not quite getting it the first time or the second time or the third time. Someone that kind of has to be dragged into it a little bit. Someone that rushes into a situation and says one of the stupidest things that you could say at first. And yet, this is also one of our biggest, most impactful monumental stories. And it does come all the way through. But it all, but it ultimately has to happen with a direct intervention from God to pour out the Holy Spirit on everybody to hammer the point home to Peter at the very end so that he goes, Oh, it really is for everybody. And that's great. Here in Acts chapter 10, they all got it. And, um, and that was it. And all Gentiles were, were forever welcome into, into the church. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They accused him. You went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them? I love, too, that they're scandalized not by the fact that he went and baptized them, but that he went into their home and ate food with them. Um, and again, here's Acts is a beautifully repetitive book. So if you it's written for the apostles. So if you don't get the story the first time, you'll get it the second time or maybe the third time. So they tell this whole story again in verses four through 16. Um but then at the beginning, it's Peter saying it in verse 15. He says, when I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just like the Spirit fell on us at the beginning. I remembered the Lord's words, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? I like It's a good way to put that. If God's doing this, Am I going to be in the way or am I going to get out of the way and let God do what he's going to do or get on the train and help God? Anyway, Peter talked to them in chapter 11 and that convinced them once and for all, right? I mean, no, because in Acts chapter 15, we had that whole council at Jerusalem where they were arguing about like what the Gentile Christians can and can't do and shouldn't, shouldn't do and all of that. But they solved it in Acts chapter 15 with the, the letter that they sent out, right? No, because if you read any of the epistles in the rest of the New Testament, you can still see that there's a lot of arguments about Jews and Gentiles. They're not getting along. They disagree on what the rules are and everything. 
But surely by the time that the last scripture was written, it was all settled, right? I mean, if you look at church history, you know that's not true. Sadly, Jewish and Gentile Christians have not gotten along, broadly speaking. There are times that have been better, times have been worse. And a lot of it's centered around, I find it interesting, it centers all the way back around this idea that was mentioned in chapter 11 here. The fact that you're eating food with them, which goes all the way back to Peter's vision about the clean and the unclean animals. I went down a rabbit hole preparing for this, learning about all the Jewish dietary laws and discovered that even still today, there are Christian groups that vehemently, strongly advocate for following all of the Jewish dietary laws. And that if you don't follow them, that you're going to be in for a major disappointment when Christ returns again. I'm not making a comment one way or the other on that. I just want to say this ain't a solved issue. It's not. There isn't a momentous, impactful, powerful moment where where the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit show up, do an incredible deed and solve something once and for all. Like Ben said at the beginning, Acts is messy, and the rest of the story is messy too. The Holy Spirit is there and working and doing amazing things, and the apostles are there and doing their best, and for the most part, working through through the Holy Spirit to do incredible things. But it's still kind of messy sometimes. However, honestly, I find that way more relatable than the superhero stories. So let me ask you guys, what do you think about this? How does this hit you today? Um, do you find this comforting? Do you find this disturbing? What do you think? How, 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 what are you, what are you feeling right now? Um, I agree with you, Ted, that it feels a lot more relatable than the, the superhero kind of version or just this like altruistic, you know, um, kind of that's always been my, uh, reading of the early church is everything was just wonderful and perfect and everybody got along and it was just beautiful and we're the ones who messed it up and, and, uh, we just can't seem to figure out what, you know, we can't seem to recapture that, that thing that they had. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I appreciate the, um, seeing the messiness, um, because that's, you know, that's what we see here. And, you know, it's, is like, life is messy and, um, and it always has been and it probably always will be. <laughs> so. Thanks, Sarah. Go ahead, Charles. That was my embodied hand being raised. Contra bends. Um, sorry, I'm a dork. Uh, affirmation and challenge for me. The affirmation of these stories is that they do um, resonate with my own experiences in mission. And the word that kept coming to mind as uh, you were describing 
you know, Peter's journey and the inclusion of the Gentiles, that whole story was just like bumbling, like that the disciples kind of bumble along, like they're, they bumble and fumble, or as Galen Van Rienen, um says, they fail forward, um, which is very much my experience in mission. Like that's how it works. Like that's normal. That is, and I mean, the, the great uh, deceit of like all of the missional conferences is that that's the part they edit out when they tell the stories, right? They tell the superhero version of this is how we got to the big win. This is how we got to the awesome results. And they omit all of the uncertainty and fumbling and bumbling and ambiguity uh, and so that's super encouraging to me. And I really, I sure hope that's normal or, or else like I'm missing something. Um, the, the challenge to me of these stories is to believe that the world is enchanted. Um, it is to believe that God is active in the world, in the Holy Spirit ahead of us, that God does and is and wants to speak to us guide us, um, and that we are in mission actually participating with God. And I feel tension there because I have, I haven't made anybody walk who was disabled, you know, the way that Peter has, like, I haven't seen these phenomenal, um, uh, miracles occur. And yet I don't want, I don't want to let go of that sense of enchantment. I, there's something in me that still longs for, um, and, and I feel like gets glimpses of, um, the Holy Spirit's activity, uh, in, in mundane, but powerful and beautiful ways. So that's, that's how it's hitting me. Thank you, Charles. Like that. Uh, Val? Um, yeah, I really appreciate that comment, Charles. Uh, I think it's a reminder that like, um, what we think is the good news, like, like we don't have control over that and God is working regardless of whether we join in with it or not. Right. Like God was there with Cornelius and all the other Gentiles, regardless of whether Peter was going to be on board or not, like it's happening and you can join in or you can choose not to. Um, and it talking about what Charles was saying about like feeling like there's all these signs and wonders that the disciples did or that people got to see like, and does that even happen anymore? Like, is that even a thing? And it made me think back to, um, a lecture we listened to of Dr. Elaine Heath. She's one of the main professors of our neighborhood seminary and She said that the sign and wonder of this age is a deep reconciliation of people who love to hate each other in the name of God. And that to me was like my first thought when I heard that was like, oh, that can't happen. And then I was like, wait, that's I mean, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit moving here. And then like we know when we love one another in the world, we know the gospel. We know the good news is true. Thanks, Val. Markula? Yeah, it reminded me of a book that Duncan read when he was in school. And it talked about the movements of the Holy Spirit throughout church history. 
And so it was, again, that reminder of how God and his sovereignty decided to manifest himself throughout church history. And it wasn't dependent upon the people. It's just God decided to show up on men and women in different ethnicities, in different ways, and they're powerful and we have records of it. And so I think, I do think that the early church in scripture is romanticized. And so then we all think, okay, we have to live up to that. You know, we need to be this. But if we look at that, there was division and dissension. (laughs) You know, there was stuff among them. So if anything, it gives me hope that he might show up with us too. (laughs) That just maybe, just maybe we might see the move of God because, you know, Lord knows we need him. So it's encouraging. Yes, thank you. Thank you, everyone.